little bouncy up here. <laughs> Good to be in the house of God, as Matt said earlier. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. On your seats when you arrive this morning, you would find the flyer there on the sanctity of life. Next Sunday, and this is in preparation for, we will be um, celebrating, if you will. That's probably not the right word. Uh, but we will be participating in what we call the Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, we will be continuing to pray uh, for our nation and all that is surrounding the issue of abortion. And we'll see, even today, where God stands on the issue of life. And I think that's paramount for us as Christ followers. That if our, if our position is different than that of the one who created us, uh, one of us needs to change. And it isn't God. The scripture tells us that God is not man that he should lie. He's not the son of man that he should repent. God need not change his position on anything, and certainly in this particular area. And so I know there's all kinds of controversy in relationship to it, both in the world, secular society, and the faith community, but also within the faith community. There are variances uh, when it comes to issues. Let's, let's always be mindful. Jesus reminds us that no nation divided against itself can stand. God is not divided. He is one. And the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect unity. I'll say that again and give you the opportunity to say amen a little louder. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in perfect unity. Amen. It does bring up an interesting reality. For in the house of God, when there is a difference, one of several things has transpired. Either both people are wrong, or one is right and the other is wrong, you can't have both people in a right position on a moral issue that God has already determined what the truth is. Does that make sense? If you find yourself on the other side, you find yourself opposed to the Lord. You need to repent. Can I get a duh? And I say that in very simplistic manner because the reality is it is simplistic and it is without apology. God is God. Period. I'm sorry. Period. Okay. Does anybody think that there's a sermon next? I'm sure there's a few. Um, so next Sunday, Sanctity of Life. Uh, inside your program, if you received one of these when you came in, uh, there are a number of announcements. 
I mentioned one, Sanctity of Life, uh, next Sunday. Uh, also, Sunday, January 29th, immediately following service at noon, we get the little half-hour window there. We normally end right around 11.30, and I know that's not entirely true. That could be an exaggeration, Pastor Dennis. <laughs> we normally end around 11.45. <laughs> at any rate, we shoot for 11.30. Uh, but immediately following at 12 noon, it's our Afterglow Sunday, the uh, first, or every, hey, thank you. Uh, the last Sunday of each month, we try and have a place of gathering where we can just come together and eat food together. And uh, we do that at Godfather's Pizza. Uh, for those of you who are calorie concerned, being that it's the new year and you might have a resolution, if you eat the pizza upside down, the calories do fall off. <laughs> so I've been told. They have a marvelous salad bar there, and uh, it's, uh, it's a great time of fellowship. So come and be a part of that. And then some outreach opportunities and opportunities to serve inside there. Uh, we, we, we received news this week that was really from a, a man's perspective. When we face loss, there is always sorrow. Uh, missionary family, Rick and Laurel Ellis. Uh, Rick was here this time last year, in January of last year, he shared some of the miraculous things that God was doing in the work down in Concepcion, Chile. Malco, uh, we've been involved. Our church has had teams down there. I myself personally helped to build a church down in uh, Arauco. Uh, and so very connected. Uh, Rick is six, was 61 years old and at the tail end of his furlough being home, a lifelong dream for him. He is the son of parents who were missionaries down in South America, and he's had a lifelong dream since the time he was 15 years old or even earlier to ride his motorcycle from Seattle, Washington, along the Pan Am Highway all the way down to Concepcion. He did that at the tail end of his furlough. He took about two months on the road down from down to Chile. Uh, arriving home, he had been home for about two months, and while riding his motorcycle, his wife on back, he had a massive heart attack, a motorcycle crash, uh, he was pronounced dead on the scene, and his wife has injuries to her spleen, her lungs, and to uh, her liver. She is expected 100% in full recovery. Uh, their three sons live in Seattle, two of which are married. Daniel, their youngest son, was a part of our fellowship for several years. He's living there. I talked with Daniel the day after. And, you know, obviously in shock, and you also in shock. Here's a dear brother that God has called home. The beauty is for Rick, much of what God had put in their hearts to do, they completed. Not only did they find or really be, they planted a church in Concepcion, right there in the capital city, or not the capital city, but one of the largest cities of Chile, and they raised up leadership, handed the leadership over to the local church, and stood by faith over the last two years, watching this congregation of, a small congregation of people who had tremendous faith, literally raise the cash dollars to purchase the building that they have now established their own church within. Stories like a husband and wife newly married, hearing from God and believing that they were to give 100% of his entire salary for the year 
not knowing how God would supply and provide for their housing, for their utilities, and for their food. And for 12 months, this couple, believing that God had spoken to them, obeyed. God took care of their bills, their housing, and their food every single day. At the end of the year, they looked back and they saw that like 100% of his checks went to the church. And they purchased the building's house. And so Rick got to see in the development, and it's, it really is a beautiful and a marvelous story. And yet it's a heartache story, as you also know, with the loss of life. And so we pray for our church family down in Chile. We pray for Laura, who is yet recovering in the hospital. And we pray for the two boys, the rise and the cancer. So will you just stand and pray with me for just a moment as we lift them up? Father, we pray for Laura Ellis and the boys, their wives and the grandkids. We recognize that your word says it is a beautiful thing in the eyes of the Lord when a saint comes home. So, Lord, we rejoice this sorrow and this sadness. We pray, Lord, your comfort to guard hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We pray for the local church. And we ask, God, that you would supply even in thi on this Sunday where they are mourning the loss of their founder, mourning the loss of a dear brother who has loved each one of them so Will you bless those families? Very specifically, Laura, will you comfort her, her heart as she is no doubt in shock even yet? God, will you bless and sustain? We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said a strong amen. Amen. Many of you know that we had a short-term mission trip planned to be in Chile, spring break of this year, March 17th through the 27th. I received email from Chile, from the director of the missions down in Chile, and they basically told us that it would be an impossibility for them to host anybody coming down at this point. So we've made available resources if they need anything, that we would be a church that would supply and help in any way that they might let us know. So please be open if the Lord should direct us. If they have need, uh, we may be taking some special offerings in return. Um, okay. Thank you. And please continue to pray uh, for Laurel Ellis and the boys. Um, we come to a place in Scripture, uh, an exciting place. We've been walking through the book of Genesis. Uh, we are moving like a herd of turtle. Uh, that's kind of our pace. Uh, nevertheless, we're, we come to chapter 22. Now, by way of reminder, because it seems like it's been a while since we've been in church, by way of reminder, the literary structure of the book of Genesis, it's divided into two sections. The first section is the first 11 chapters, which is really the history of the ethnos of humanity. It is the nations of the world. Chapter 12 through chapter 50 narrows it down to God's calling upon one nation through one specific family that the nation would be birthed, and that nation, the nation of Israel. So two distinct sections or divisions and within those 50 chapters, there are 11 units, if you will, and each unit is divisible, if you will, and uh, is initiated by the phrase, these are the genealogies of, or these are the generations of. And so, 
we've looked at and we are at today in the second unit and we're looking at the nation of Israel and its formation and we are in the seventh unit. These are the generations of Terah. Terah is Abraham's or early on Abram's father. And these are the generations and God is calling and his seed will be identified through Abraham and his son Isaac. So, I would note there there are seven major covenants in Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament that God makes both with mankind as well as very specifically the nation Israel. And I say this because at least Three of these covenants that are made are very specifically made with the nation Israel. I would invite you to keep your eyes in tune on what is happening in the nation Israel. If you are not a subscriber to, I would invite you simply to Google search Jerusalem Post or other news that comes right from Israel to know what is happening right there. Because God's attention certainly is there. And there are things that are moving in God's prophetic calendar that we're moving towards. And we, as the body of Christ, should not be unawares of what is happening biblically and uh, globally in that regard. The covenants are the uh, Edemic uh, covenant, covenants, Genesis 3, the uh, Noahic Covenant, Genesis 9, the Abrahamic Covenant, and there's many chapters, but basically chapter, 20, chapter 12 through chapter 25 mentioned and referenced on a number of occasions, and I'll enumerate them in a little bit, uh, some of those. Uh, what I would call a Palestinian Covenant, Deuteronomy chapter 30, the first 10 verses, the Mosaic Covenant, Deuteronomy chapter 11, and many others. The Davidic Covenant, 2 Samuel 7, and the New Covenant, uh, Jeremiah 31, and we are part of that New Covenant in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, so today we're in Genesis chapter 22. We're looking at the life of Abraham, the father of faith. Abraham, the father of faith. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 22, and we'll read... Oh... First 12 verses. Follow along with me. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to, said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood, or split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and will worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering 
and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went there, went together. And they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. But he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. We'll read verse 13 as well. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. Father, in the next few moments as we listen to the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged. I pray that our faith would be strengthened. I pray, God, that you would be glorified in our lives daily in Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said a strong amen. Amen. I'd like to, uh, before we dive deeper into the text, because some of you may have not been here in our progression, chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, etc. And then we had a couple of weeks off. We did uh, one sermon via the internet and um, you may not be able to wrap yourself around where we are at in the story. So in a synopsis, I'm going to go through the chapters, but I'm also going to reveal, if you will, some of the maturing faith steps, and I, I, I hesitate to use the, the phrase or the term steps as if there was step A, B, C, D, or 1, 2, 3, 4, and that's the way you go to find mature faith. No, these are just... In the process of time, he's discovering some lessons associated with faith. And recognize also that our faith is always, and not inclusively, but always has a measure of obedience associated with it. Does that make sense? When we believe God and we simply obey. It's not just obedience that measures faith, but that's certainly a part of it. Does that make sense? And so perhaps you'll be able to identify some of the lessons you may have already learned. You may be in the process of learning some of them right now. But just be aware that no matter what, our faith should be growing, our obedience should be growing, and our trust in God should be growing. Does that make sense? There is a profound scripture... I mean, they're all profound, right? Can I get an amen? To me, one that stood out as very profound recently was after Isaac was born. The scripture simply says, And the child grew and was weaned. 
Isaac, biblically, is a type of the spiritual life. So think about just the simplicity of your spiritual life and my spiritual life. Isaac grew. Naturally, he grew. From a spiritual perspective, we should naturally be growing spiritually. And that is amen worthy. You might ask yourself, even with that thought, what am I doing to get my spiritual growth on an unnatural path? Paul says to the church in Corinth, you should be teachers by now. But I must review with you the elementary principles of the faith. Repentance. That's elementary. He's talking about you should, you should have naturally grown by now, but you've done something to prevent your spiritual growth. Does that make sense? We should be growing. And it should be natural. And if your faith has not grown, there's some things that you can do to get to the place where you can begin to grow spiritually in a consistent way. Okay? So, just some thoughts. So, synopsis. Chapter 12. Abraham is called and a covenant is made. And he has what I would title a delayed obedience. How do I say that? He was asked to leave his family, his father's house, and go to the land which God had called him. What does he do? He takes his father with him, and he takes his nephew Lot. They go to Haran, and there he waits till his father passes away, and he takes Lot with him yet into Canaan. That's not what God said to do. He said, leave your family. It's interesting. It's not until Abraham and Lot separate that God visits Abraham again. I think there's a principle there for you and I. Sometimes we, as Christians, we're like, well, heaven seems awfully quiet. I pray, and I'm not hearing anything from God. I'm not getting answered to prayers. I have no new revelation. I read the Word of God, and it's just like reading a book. Anybody ever been there? I wonder sometimes if we get ourselves there because we've not obeyed in what God has already revealed to us yet. Once we get to the place of obedience, I think there will be further revelation. Does that make sense? I'm not creating a doctrine there, but I'm simply saying I think there's a principle there for you and I. Okay? We get to chapter 12, and here's the interesting part. In chapter 12, (laughs) when he gets to Canaan, what happens? There's a famine. Now, he's arrived at the place that God has called him. And circumstances aren't what he expected. There's famine. So what does he do? He goes to Egypt. So he goes from a delayed obedience to what I would call a deferred obedience. He's, I'm in the will of God. I'm where God wants me to be. And then he looks around him and things aren't what he had hoped for. So he turns to Egypt, and he goes down to Egypt. Listen, in a way of type, or allegorically, Egypt is a type of the world. So here he is, a spiritual guy. He's obeying God. He's believed God. He gets there in the promised land, Canaan. 
things aren't what he expected. So he turns to the world for his sustenance and he goes down to Egypt. I wonder sometimes for you and I, when we're seeking to obey the Lord and we're seeking to follow his direction in our lives and we have a sense, God, I'm supposed to do this, and we get there and it's not what we, what we thought it would be, so we immediately turn to something in the world or the system of this world or systems of this world and put our trust in it. Do you understand what I'm saying here? I mean, simple things. Who is our provider? God is our provider. Can I get an amen? He shall supply all of our need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Listen, if your employment has run dry, if your resource capability has run dry, I would submit to you, yes, you need, you need to do something, but let not the first thing you do be, I must go do something and get my hands on this thing. How about we first turn to the Lord and say, God, will you supply? Will you show? Will you open my eyes? Will you let me see your provision? And turn to the Lord. Now you say, I'm already there and I've already done that. Then I would say, wait for the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Has God ever lied? He has not. Will he supply all of your need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus? Will he? Yes. Yes. obedience deferred obedience let's not turn to the world uh, for that so he separates from lot chapter 13 he's visited by god the covenant again is confirmed and his obedience in that first is really accomplished we get to chapter 14 and there's a there's a little bit of a fight that goes on three five kings against four kings lot is captured and uh, abraham comes and brings some deliverance gets his 319 fellows together and they go down and they battle against these kings and they win. And it's an interesting story, but uh, they rescue Lot, they rescue all the folks, they rescue and bring back all the spoils. And the king of Sodom says, you keep all the stuff, give me the souls. And there we have a type, if you will, how the enemy of our souls works. He says, I'll give you a whole bunch of stuff, I'm just interested in the souls. We don't live in a materialistic world. We live in a spiritual world, and it is about the souls of humanity. And so let us cling very loosely to the things of this earth. Abraham said, I don't want any of your stuff. I don't want any of it. My hope is in the Lord. I think he learned a lesson. He doesn't need to go to Egypt to get his wife. He doesn't need to go to the king of Sodom for more stuff. He'll just go to the king of kings and get his supply, okay? So he's learning some lessons along the way. Then he meets this interesting individual in chapter 14, Melchizedek, and so uh, we've talked about that in detail. Chapter 15, the covenant is confirmed. Chapter 16, we're introduced uh, to Hagar and Ishmael, and I would call this a deflected obedience. You know, they're in this process. Abraham is 75, and time has gone on. It's been about 12 years, and uh, this promise of his seed has not come to pass, and so Sarah comes up with this, you know, uh, contrived idea well, maybe God's 
seed through Abraham, since my womb is barren, will be through my handmaiden, Hagar. So she shares this with Abraham, and he's like, all right, sounds good to me. And the scripture says he heeded his wife. And she becomes his second wife, and ultimately he sires a son named Ishmael. He had his hands in the mix again. It is noteworthy today in chapter 22 that God says, Abraham, take your son, your only son. God is not recognizing the work of the flesh. He will not recognize the works of our flesh. How many times have we not listened to what God wants to do? We just have something in our hearts and we say, I'm going to go do that. And then we get down the road and we're looking at it and we're like, Oh, guy, things aren't working out the way I hoped they were. And then we say, God, will you bless the work of our hands? Anybody been there before? Oh, will you bless that decision? I should have asked God to. Will you bless the decision? I'm going to do this. God, please bless that. I mean, sometimes it's that fast. I would suggest to you to listen to the Lord first. It calls for us to be in tune Our hertz meter needs to be on God's radio wave. Right? It's important. Okay. So, he's got reflected obedience. He obeyed. He was believing. But he said okay, and he got involved. It's interesting that he picked Hagar up earlier when he was turning to the world for his provision. He went down to Egypt. That's who he picked up while he was down in Egypt. Hagar the availability to continue in the works of the flesh were because of his operation in the flesh. Does that make sense? Sometimes we build on the flesh time and time and time again. Lots of lessons in here. Uh, I call that a reflected obedience. Now chapter 17, the covenant again is confirmed, but it's in chapter 17, Abraham, you know, Abraham has already had conversations with God like about Sodom and the destruction of Sodom and he's, well, what if there's 50 righteous? And God says, okay, 50. And then he says, well, okay, well, what if it's just 40? And God says, well, okay, if it's 40, I won't destroy it. And he says, well, okay, please forgive me for approaching you again. But what if it's, you know, 35 or 30? And he just keeps going down the line. He's already had this kind of conversation with God, but yet when it comes to the confirmation of the covenant through his seed, he says very keenly in verse 18 of that chapter, he says, that you would identify and do and bless my son Ishmael. And it's fascinating to me. Abraham in his mind, he's probably thinking, look, Sarah's womb's dead. I'm tired. I'm old. I'm not. I don't want to even raise another son necessarily. I mean, I can just imagine the argumentation that he's going through. Oh, if you could just take my son Ishmael. Thirteen years I've raised this boy. He's my boy. Oh, that you would recognize him. He's in dispute with God. He's in debate. Look, will you just, will you just? And the first word out of God's mouth is no. No. Sarah will have a son. This is death to the work of the flesh. No. No. There's a lesson there for you and I. What things are we doing in the flesh that we desperately want God to bless. And he is saying no. And we have to learn a lesson.
happen over and over and over and over again. Anybody here like repetitive lessons? No. But yet we do it because we love Ishmael. You see the principle? We love the things of the flesh. Why do we keep learning some of the same lessons over and over when it comes to temptation? In fact, why is there temptation in life? Because we love sin. Right? It wouldn't be temptation if you didn't like it. Right? That's the real deal. I like sweets. If I'm on a diet, which I am, what's up with January 1? <laughs> resolutions. But here's the deal. I have to purge the house. Okay, let me rephrase that. My wife has to purge the house. If there's a sweet in the house, I guarantee you, I will find it. I found Christmas candy (laughs) from two years ago. A Hershey's kiss is sweet with age. I'm unrolling that little foil. Look at, I didn't even chew the chocolate. I just sucked on that thing. (laughs) Ten minutes, I savored it. And I didn't tell anyone but my son-in-law, and I gave him two. (laughs) The point is, we just love it. We need a heart transformation. Jesus did not love sin. At all. At all. Oh, but our faith would mature, right? Yeah. Abraham loved Ishmael. Okay. So this he disputed obedience. Uh, it's noteworthy that it's in that chapter that Abram had his name changed. And I would I would say this, and Dennis, you had no way of knowing where I was going. But the new song about bones, the new song about God breathed his breath, it's depicted in Abraham's life when God changes his name. You might remember we looked at this a little bit, but that God adds his breath into Abraham's actual name. It's the hey of the Hebrew alphabet. It's the fifth letter, and it represents breath, life, spirit. God put his spirit in the middle of his boy, Abram, and he became Abraham. I in Scripture is always associated with grace. God in his grace put his spirit into the heart of Abraham. And Abraham became alive, if you will. It's a picture and a type of being born again in the Old Testament. I think that's fascinating. So, chapter 17. Chapter 18, the son of promise is confirmed that it would be Isaac. Abraham intercedes for Sodom. Chapter 18. And will you just, will you look at chapter 18 with me real quick? Because we're coming into 
uh, next Sunday, uh, where we're going to be looking at the sanctity of life, chapter 18 of Genesis is a, at least a noteworthy. Uh, and by the way, uh, I figure since we haven't had, uh, we've only had one service in the preceding four Sundays and today, so I actually have about three hours of sermon. So you guys just put your seatbelts on. <laughs> put your seatbelts on. <laughs> okay. Chapter 18, this is, a, this is an interesting statement. If you look at, he's confirming his promise and Sarah in her seed. And he says in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Think this way for just a moment. Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's an interesting question that God even asks. And he would rhetorically ask that to us. Look, is anything too hard for me? No. Whatever your circumstances are right now that you are facing, is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Not Egypt. Not the flesh. Not the world. Not the flesh. Hope in God. If you walk away with one thing today, walk away with that. Put your hope in God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. No. He's talking about Sarah's womb being dead. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You may be here today. In fact, right now, you're here today and you're believing children to be born. Maybe you're a mama, maybe you're a papa, maybe you're a grandparent and you're praying for kids. We're going to pray. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, for husbands and wives who are believing, they're, they're just holding hands together right now. They're laying hands on one another. We pray, God, that wombs would be opened in the name of Jesus. That wombs pray for the month of October to be a month of celebration for the children of the unborn. Father God, will you open wombs? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And Father, in so doing, will you strengthen faith for the promises of God? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen to what he says. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. The phrase there, according to the time of life, is in reality a statement associated with Sarah's, what would be her ovulation. And God here calls that time the time of life. When this the sperm, unites with the egg, life. That's what God says. Life. We believe life is at conception. That is why we stand for life. This is just one place in Scripture that would identify that. There are others. I think that's key for the sanctity of life. Well, uh, chapter 19, Sodom was destroyed. There's lots of 
things there. Chapter 20, we have Abraham and Abimelech. And what I would call Abraham and Abimelech in a faith story there is the same obedience. And here's what I mean by that. I'm just going to, I'll just share this, and we are actually going to get to the sermon today, and it, it, it will move relatively quickly. But here's what I want to say. The same obedience. This is what I mean. Abraham's dealings with Abimelech. Abraham told the truth to Abimelech. Sarah's my sister. And Sarah told the truth in reference to Abraham. Abraham is my brother. But they told the truth with the intent to deceive. And it was defaming to Abraham. When Abimelech heard from the Lord what was happening, he went to Abraham and says, What have you done? And he was not happy. And this is a practice. You remember back when he went down to Egypt in the hands of the flesh? What did he do with Sarah? The same exact thing. We're talking about 24 years later. He's having this same conversation. And when he explains it to Abimelech, he says, this is our custom. I would liken it to you and I, habitual sin. Habitual sin. Things that we have somehow justified in our lives as being okay, or we've thrown in the towel and we've given up the fight. And we just said, well, I, there's nothing, I can't do anything about it. What do you do? Well, I just sin. Huh? And yet, everybody sitting here knows what I'm talking about. Maybe your habitual sin, maybe it's you exaggerate. Maybe it's you tell white lies as if there was something called a white lie. Abraham, well, it's, it's the truth, but it was told with the intent to deceive. What was he doing? <laughs> There's a phrase we used to say when I was working in industry, and guys would, you know, when someone did something wrong, you know, everyone's making up excuses why it wasn't their fault. And the phrase was TYA, figure it out, if you haven't heard it before. Uh, these cats were covering their own tails. <laughs> Abraham's covering his own tail. I don't want to die, and I'm afraid. Fear is a lack of faith. So his faith was maturing. And so he gets to the place where he's like, oh, my word, I've been doing this for 24 years. I need to change. I need transformation. What about you today? What things have you practiced and, all, and just given approval in? because of your continuing. Listen, when it goes public, it'll be defaming. What you sow, you shall reap. What is done in secret will be proclaimed from the rooftops. Be advised, no man will make a mockery of God. Right? Be heads up on that. Please, the Lord, stop. If you're sinning somewhere and it's habitual, how do you know? What do you do when you're by yourself? What do you do when you're by yourself? Evaluate your private life. If there's inconsistencies in your private life, what do we do? Repent. If it's sin, what's the first step of repentance with sin? Make confession. Confess your sins that you what? Might be healed. Say something, it's going to cost me. Exactly. So the sooner you pay the price, the smaller the price it will be. If you wait 24 years, it's going to cost you a whole lot more. Does that make sense? 
say to the young people, learn confession early. Uh, so more principles here. All right. Isaac is born, chapter 21, the son of promise. It's interesting to note when Isaac is born, that's when the conflict begins. Thirteen years, Ishmael, Abraham had no conflict. No conflict. Isaac is born. He's growing in the natural process. He's getting weaned. On the day he's weaned, a party is happening. Now Isaac is anywhere from 17 years old all the way up to 19, likely in that window. And Sarah sees Ishmael mocking Isaac. There's a principle here. The flesh will always mock the spirit because your flesh wants to be the heir. It wants to be in charge. Your flesh wants to control you. That's why the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Flesh controls the Spirit of God. But when the Spirit of God doesn't have the rightful heir position on the throne, self does. Wants to rule. Conflict. Ishmael, Isaac. Sarah sees him. She says, get rid of the bondwoman and her son now. The thing was displeasing to Abraham. <laughs> what? says, Abraham, listen to your wife. This is one I want you to listen to your wife on in this regard. You should have never heeded her back when she said, take Hagar. You should have never gone back to Egypt, likely. But now you listen. And here's what I would say to everyone sitting here. The path to victory over sin in your life is to get rid of the world, Hagar, Egypt, the Jew, it's the old covenant. You, you, can't, you can't live and get life by the old covenant. Paul pulls this out in Galatians chapter 4. Hagar is the old covenant. Right? Well, for us, we can't have the world working in us. We've got to get rid of the world. And we've got to get rid of the will of the flesh if you want to find victory. Does that make sense? Think about the worldliness that has crept into the church. So much that has crept into the church, and individually, you are the church, right? We are the body of Christ, each one of us individually, we are the church. You didn't go to church today, you are the church today, right? I mean, that's, that's true. How much worldliness has crept into your life? What do you allow in? Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is bad, the whole body is bad. You know, if, you're, if you're looking at things that are just worldly, you're being unduly influenced, right? We've let it creep in. Now, does that mean there's a whole bunch of rules of do's and don'ts? You can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't. No, it's not about, it's not about cans and cans. It's about living for the Lord. And when we choose the things of the Lord over the things of the world, we're going to miss the world. It's not about do's and don'ts. I get to serve Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on. And what Jesus supplies and provides, man, it is the world pales in comparison. Well, I need some entertainment in my life. Hey, how about go minister on the streets of Portland? Can I get an amen? You want some entertainment now? Watch someone make a decision 
to do something right. It'd be hard just listening to someone's story. Change your life, Charlie, Linda. Has your life been changed since you've done just a little bit? Since you've been leading the ministry down on the streets of Portland? I mean, radical change. Marshall, Leslie, have your lives been changed since you founded Bridgetown? A little bit. A little bit. You don't have to go to the streets in Portland. Lindy, has your life been changed just a little bit being involved with Teen Challenge? Just a little bit. Scott, has your life been changed working with the intern program? Just a little bit. Mom, Sherry, has your life been changed just listening to the Spirit's prompting and stopping your car and getting out of your vehicle and going and talking to the man on the side of the road sitting at the bench uh, waiting for a bus. Yes. Time and time and time again. You don't have to look far. Right? Does that make sense? Hey, you want an exciting life? You're like, oh, I'm kind of bored. Go do something radical for Jesus. The dividends tell saying with the interns, we just kind of go like this. The sign language like, wow, God just blew my mind. And he does that. And it's simple. And it's in the context of who you are, your personality, God's life coming out of you in your area and you just being his hands and feet and his mouthpiece, if you will. Radical stuff. Okay, there's a lot of sermons in there. Uh, I have only two more pages of notes, and it's time to go. So, here's what we're going to do. I identified six kind of lessons Abraham was learning up to from chapter 12 through chapter 21. Chapter 22 Abram or Abraham has what I would call decisive obedience. Decisive obedience. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to identify a handful of things in the text very quickly. But before I do that, let me also mention this. As his faith is maturing, his faith is maturing, it's, uh, it's manifested in his obedience, which is maturing. He's learning these lessons. And in the process of learning these lessons and the obedience, something else very interesting has transpired. God has revealed himself no less than seven times. In fact, this, this occasion in chapter 22 is the seventh time God physically visits Abraham. Every time he's visiting, he's revealing more about himself. It's a progressive revelation in the relationship arena. You hear people say, man, I just want to get to know the Lord better. That's a relational statement. We see in the life of Abraham that's, that really is built out of obedience. God gives further revelation. Here's five names. Five names. Names that we in theological circles and here just sitting in regular church life, we reference these names. We sang about it even today. El 
most high God, Genesis chapter 14. Adonai, Lord, Master, Genesis 15, 2. El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, Lord God Almighty, Genesis 17. El Olam, the everlasting God. Do we sing that song? You are the everlasting God. The everlasting God. First reference, right here, Abraham. Boom. We sing Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. Chapter 22. The Lord will supply himself the land. How profound that that's what God would do on the same mount, Mount Moriah, some thousand years plus later, God would offer His only Son, Jesus, on Mount Moriah, the very spot that the altar was erected in Abraham's life. God will supply Himself. God became man, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, and He provided Himself the sacrifice for the redemption of mankind. decisive obedience to stop associated with that. Number one, he was decisive. God said, Abraham, he said, here I am. Here I am. Are you able and willing to say when God speaks to you and says your name, Joel, you say, here I am. Brad, here I am. Fill in the blank. Here I am. Are you responsive to the Lord? He was receptive. He received from the Lord. He didn't understand it. Offer your only son. Well, wait a minute. This is a burnt offering. What do you mean offer my only son, Isaac? He's the son of promise. Through Isaac, your seed, he's called. Your people, your na- this nation will be called from Isaac. But if Isaac is dead, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, says that Abraham reckoned he concluded that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. What did he say to the two servants? The lad and I will go and worship, and what? We will return. I want you to see the magnitude of his faith. A burnt offering, he took a knife to slay body is laid on the wood, it is a burnt offering. The wood would be ignited and that which is offered would be a heap of ashes and bones. The song, the prophecy, can these bones live? Abraham concluded in his mind, that God would not only raise up Isaac, not just a dead body being raised, which he had not seen. He didn't have the story of Lazarus to go by. He didn't have the story of the uh, the widow of Nain, whose son was raised from the cast. He didn't have any of that. This is first mentioned. God would raise Isaac, not from the dead in terms of a dead body. He would raise Isaac from a pile of ashes. He would take ashes and make something beautiful. You may be looking at your circumstances right now 
And you'd say, it's nothing but a heap of ashes. I've destroyed everything. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. These bones can live. These ashes can be made into something beautiful. Bethlehem is known as Bethlehem Ephrathah. House of bread, pile of ashes. And out of the pile of ashes came forth the Son of God. God can take your ash heap and make something beautiful. You say, my son, my daughter is away from God. The prodigal is right now. Put your hope in God. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's the promise of God. Stand fast on the promise. Your faith will be complete. It's interesting that the title given by man on chapter 22 is Abraham's faith confirmed. He believed God, and he received from his belief. Jesus said, believing only has one hope. Stand fast on the promise. Responsive, receptive. He was relentless. In this story, he consulted no one. God said, offer your son. Next verse, early in the morning he arose. It's interesting, there are five conjunctions in that sentence. And he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this. There's actually an English term for when a sentence has ongoing conjunctions, each one tied together with the other. It has a common rule in there. The common rule here was he believed God, and so he was taking these steps, and he battled his donkey, and he split the wood, and he got the two servants, and he got his son, and they left. Powerful. He reckoned, concluding Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, he reckoned that God would raise him from the dead. And the scripture tells us in Hebrews that he did receive his son from the dead. His son was dead. His son was already dead in his own heart and mind. But he literally received his son back from the dead. He reasoned God would provide himself the lamb which God does hear. He was resolute, the lot and I, we will return. Listen, you should know, and you can do a quick Google search on the antiquity of the Jews by Flavius Josephus, a historian in the first century. Antiquity of the Jews, he writes for us historical documents of the teachings of the rabbis from the times that these stories were written, this historical narrative. And Antiquity of the Jews, this particular story, Book 1, Chapter 12, tells us Isaac was not a lad like we think or might we might have seen in a coloring picture from our days of Sunday school. Isaac was 25 to 33 years old. The antiquity of the Jews say he's 25 years old. And he says to his father, when his father says, son, this is the deal. God seems that I'm going to be required to offer you. He's not going to allow you to die in the ordinary manner of all men by way of disease or some other manner or by way of war, but that he would receive you in an old, a holy oblation, that you would be offered in, in worship.
of you here this morning, when you're withholding something that's precious to you, you won't give it up to the Lord. I would invite you to give it to the Lord in worship. Give it to the Lord in worship. He received Isaac back from the dead. And here's the beauty. Isaac's response to his father, even if just you, not you and God, but if just you would have required this of me, Father, I would have laid my life down. And that portion of literature, historical literature, says that Isaac went and sat upon the altar and waited for his dad to bind him. Powerful. I think there's a picture even in that, even though it's extra biblical, we can see it in the text. You and I are offering our lives, living sacrifices, living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord. He was resolute. And finally, he was resolved. Verse 9 and 10 says, Abraham built the altar there and placed the wood in order and bound his son Isaac. There's lots of lessons that we can learn from Abraham. We see seven different uh, lessons of faith, if you will, when we come to this decisive obedience where he just simply responded immediately by faith to the Lord, consulted no one. He didn't have to ask his servants. He didn't have to ask Eleazar. He didn't have to consult with Ishmael. He didn't say anything to Sarah. He simply got up in the morning, put the things together, and took off. And he went and he did what God said. Let me say this. Uh, my encouragement, I'm encouraged personally, my encouragement is that you and I would have a maturing faith. We need to grow up in the Lord. Amen? We need to get past the elementary teachers. We need to, get, we need to be weaned from the milk the meat to become students of the word of God our faith measured in obedience uh, it takes time we see actually by the time he goes to Moriah it's as much as 50 years I've been walking with the Lord for 32 I'm glad to know that I still got some lessons to learn when it comes to faith and the ones that I'm presently learning I'm thankful that God is patient with me can I get an amen yeah God's patient with us praise the Lord Let's become decisive in our faith. Finally, I would just, by way of encouragement to those, if there's a parent here and you are believing for a wayward son or daughter, stand on the promise. Stand on the promises of God. If you're here this morning and you're looking for direction and provision from the Lord, stand on the promises of God. If you're looking for direction, stand on the promises of God. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. I say we need to stand on the promises and say, CD, I don't know what the promises are. Here's, here's how we find out. Here's how we find out what the promises are. And here's a final piece of this. We spend time in the Word. We spend time in the Word. We highlight, underline, memorize, meditate on the promises of God. The promises. And we build our lives around those, not what we see with our natural eye. Remember Lot looked down in the valley and he saw the fertile valley. <laughs> the just shall live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Huh? We're believers. We prayed a moment ago for wounds to be open. I'd like us your faith to grow, that's the overriding thing. All of our faith should grow as a result of the Word of God this morning. Very specifically as this
standing this morning, I invite you to stand with me this morning. We're going to conclude with believing God for provision when it comes to employment. We're going to be believing God for provision by way of direction and prodigal. If you have a prodigal, an employment scenario or directional thing, will you just raise your hand where you are? You have a prodigal, an employment scenario, or a directional question. Just raise hands wherever you're at. Just get them up high so people around you can see. If you see someone with a hand up in the air, I'm going to invite you to just kind of move around where you are at. Now we're coming to a conclusion, and I know we're going to be making our way towards the door. But will you just kind of move around a little bit so that every person who has a hand up has somebody with a hand upon their shoulder. We're laying hands on. We're simply going to believe together for God's provision in our lives. I want to make sure everyone has someone with a hand on their shoulder, someone standing by. Come on, we're going to move. If you had your hand up and you don't have someone laying your hand on their shoulder, I see Gil and Francine in the back over here need someone to lay hand on them. That would be great. Uh, I see David right here. I can't tell. There's a hand on Melissa. Thank you. I think, oh, no, somebody's got their hand on. Oh, is that you, Melissa? Thank you. Uh, anybody else? We just need someone on the panel down there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of your son Jesus, thank you for the example and the exampling that you have given to us in the life of Abraham. We see, Lord, that yes, he believed you, and yet there were inconsistencies in that faith throughout his life, and we see some amazing things that we can identify with, and it helps us in our faith. But, Lord, we don't want to stay marginalized even in our faith. God, we want to stand with that decisive faith like Abraham. And we're believing right now, Father, and we want to stand upon the promises. We're believing for prodigals to come home. In the name of Jesus, young men, young women, maybe it's a mother or a father or a grandparent, they're away from God. They've known you in years past, and your word declares in their, in their old age or when they are old, they will not depart from it. God, may they return home. May they come to their senses like that lost boy in chapter 15 of the book of Luke. May they come to their senses and come home. Father, I pray that the body of Christ right here at Hillside, that we would be prodigal friendly. When one returns home, we wouldn't say things like, oh, where have you been? But we would just say, hey, man, it's great to see you. And we would throw our arms around them. Give them a kiss on the cheek, so to speak. And give them new shoes or whatever it looks like. But we just love them. Help us to be prodigal friendly. God, may we not be a church of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations, but that we would just be embracing and loving. And Lord, that we would walk in obedience in all those other areas of our lives. So help, Father. We pray for those seeking direction. Lord, I need to know where I'm supposed to be going. I, I just need to know. Father, may you settle their hearts. May you bring peace in the name of Jesus. And God, would you reveal to them and confirm it through your word or confirm it in some other way that they would know that they know and they could walk in that obedience. God, will you direct? Like Cyrus the king, you said, I'll take you by the hand and lead you before the nations. I will make the crooked places straight. I will level the mountains before you. I will cut through the bars of iron and the gates of bronze. I will open the double doors before you. Father, will you bring direction? Lord, for employment and provision. It's so very real, so very tangible, so very painful when there's more month at the end of check than there is check at the end of the month. God, or, 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 or where news has been given. Lord, you are our supplier. 
You are Jehovah Jireh. You are the all-sufficient one, El Shaddai. Father, will you supply according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus? We stand and believe. We stand and believe like Jehoshaphat. We stand and believe. God, will you supply? We eagerly await the testimonies of the Lord. So God be glorified. May you bless and may we receive your benediction this day. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's saints say a strong amen. Amen and amen. Go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. We won't go as long next Sunday. God bless you. Have a great week in Christ.